Good job. I'm sure that they are already out the door, but now's the time that we release our kids to Children's Church. And uh, if you are from basically nursery all the way up to second grade, you can head out to Children's Church. We've got something for you, and it is going to be a great time. For the rest of you, you're stuck with me, and uh, hopefully that's not a bad thing. We have finished up our uh, Road to Calvary sermon series as we were going through the Gospel of Matthew. And today we are going to begin a a new series and we're going to dive into a new book in in order to uh, just get a a little bit more understanding of a new book. And we're actually going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy. Now I know and I understand that probably this is not the book of the Bible that you run to when you want to have a study time or maybe some personal reading time in the scriptures. We have a a stigma when it comes to some of these Old Testament books, you know, like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and maybe even Numbers where where they're not stories like we might get in in Genesis or Exodus or Joshua. And and they're not poetry. That's not beautiful verse like we have in the Psalms or or in the Song of Solomon, that these books kind of have stuff in it that's that's hard for us to get a hold of. We might say things like this is just a book of rules. And in a way, you're not wrong. The book of Deuteronomy does have some kind of narrative as a part of it, but a lot of it is what they call judgments and statutes. How do we handle and how do we interpret the law? Even the the book, Deuteronomy, the title means a second law or the second giving of the law. You might say things like this doesn't really apply to us. You might kind of take that idea that we're under the new covenant and we don't need to worry about some of the things in here. Obviously, we're not going to do some of the things that Deuteronomy says. You know, when it says if you have an unruly child, you can take him to the the leaders and then you can take him outside of the encampment and have him stoned to death. We're not going to do that here. I know. Don't look. I know what my son acts like. I love him to death. We're not going to take him out back. I promise. And just flat out, there's some weird stuff in there. As you're reading some of the statues and they start saying, well, when this happens, do this. You're going, why would that happen? And so it's a lot of times because of that, we tend to take a book like, like Deuteronomy and we pull out little nuggets here and there. Or we'll read it because we're going through our Bible in a year reading plan or Bible in a couple year reading plan. But for the most part, we kind of just skim over it. My hope is that as we kind of dive into this, and we're not going to look through the entire book of Deuteronomy verse by verse, because that would take us about three years. But as we dive into this book over the next few months, that we can begin to see how God is revealing his character and his nature through this second giving of the law. And that we might be able to see how the gospel message is tucked into the pages of this book if we would only look for it. And so I want to begin at the beginning as God is beginning to prepare the nation of Israel to actually go into the promised land. We're going to actually begin our time together in Deuteronomy chapter 2 starting in verse 1. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 2 starting in verse 1 and we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 7. 
For those of you that, that need a little extra time to jump through the, the Bible verses as I read them, you may also want to turn or put a bookmark in Numbers chapter 13, because we're going to be looking at Numbers 13 and 14 today quite a bit as well. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Word of God says this, it says, Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me and circled Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. And command the people, saying, You will pass through the territory of your brothers, the sons of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you, so be very careful." Do not provoke them, for I will not give you any of their land, even as little as a footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as his possession. You shall buy food from them with money, so you may eat, and you shall purchase water from them with money, so that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all that you have done. You have known your wanderings through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have not lacked a thing. Please be seated. So there is a lot to unpack about this passage as we're kind of jumping into to Deuteronomy at this point. Now, you'll notice that, that our, our passage begins with Moses, and that's the one who's speaking in this passage. Moses is with the nation of Israel, and they have been circling Mount Seir. They have been just kind of going nowhere, but they're making good time. And what happens is they come to the point where finally God speaks to Moses, and he says, you have circled the mountain long enough. That's in verse 3. And there is a reason why they have been circling this mountain for these many years. Now, to understand that, we have to go back a book into the book of Numbers. I mentioned earlier, we're going to spend some time today in Numbers to understand how did Israel get where they are today. I want to read to you from Numbers chapter 13, and I'm going to read the first couple verses, just kind of set up the, the thing, set up our scene, if you will, and then also jump to the end and look at a couple verses there as well. Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 1, we read this. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each one of their father's tribes, each one a leader among them. So here's where we're at. We're in the book of Numbers. We have had the whole Exodus event. Moses has come. He's talked to Pharaoh. Let my people go. All the plagues have happened. They've gone through. They've gone to the mountain, to Mount Sinai. They've received the law. All sorts of stuff has happened. They've made their way to Canaan. And they've gotten to Canaan's edge. And they're about to, now is the time for them to cross over the Jordan, to, to take this land that God has given them as an inheritance. And God tells the nation of Israel, he says, here's what you're going to do. Just to kind of get things moving, I want you to send out some spies to go check out the land and they can come back and report what's going on. And so he tells them how to do it. He says, pick a leader from each of the, of the 12 tribes and, and you're going to send out these 12 spies and they're going to go. And so they do. But when they come back, 
They don't get the report that necessarily they expected to get. In fact, let me read. I'm going to pick up in verse 31, and I want you to read what is the aftermath of these spies. This is Numbers 13, starting in verse 31. We read this. He says, But the men who had gone up with him, these are the people that had gone into the land, and he says, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which you have gone, um, we have gone to sp- and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their, um, and so we were in their sight. Now I want you to think about this for just a second. This is what's happened. We've had 12 people go into the promised land to check it out. You can read the chapter yourself. One of the things that happened, they go into the promised land. They're spying everything out. They come across, I'm guessing, a vineyard. And, they, and, and this vineyard has grapes. And they, and they end up taking a bunch of grapes off the vineyard. And it is so large. The, the bunch of grapes is so big that they had to tie it to a pole. And two of them had to carry it together. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to hold it. It would drag on the ground. It was humongous. The land was amazing. It was everything God had said it was. A land flowing with milk and honey but there was a problem and the problem was when they saw the people they got scared because they thought the people were big the cities were fortified the people seemed to be very large and and they got it in their head we can't do this and so when the 12 returned They brought the grapes, they brought the report of how good the land was, but they still said, but we can't do it. There are giants living there. If we even attempt it, they are going to destroy us. Oh, that we had just stayed in Egypt where we were safe. And so in order to turn the hearts of Israel away from this plan, these, not all 12, there was two who did not give a bad report. One of them being Caleb, and another one being Joshua. But the other ten began to go to their home, to their tribes and to their people. And instead of telling them the truth of the land, and even if they told them, but we saw the people and they were big and the cities were fortified and, and we're pretty nervous about it. And they didn't even give them that opportunity. They lied. And began to tell the people, this place is horrible. It devours its inhabitants. It is a rough place with rough conditions. If we go just living there, we'd be eaten alive. That doesn't even count the fact that all of them are giants. I love how they said, it says, when we saw them, we felt like grasshoppers. I kind of understand what it was saying because many years ago, I had the opportunity to, to stand and talk with Joe and a couple of his brothers. And I realized I am really short. And I felt like a grasshopper compared to all of these Galloway men. I don't know how you grew them so big. And they said that we were like grasshoppers. and They made us feel like grasshoppers because to them we were grasshoppers. Essentially, they told them, not in a million years, there is no way that we'd be able to take this land. Now, wait just a second. Who told them they were going to take this land? 
Was it not God? Was it not God who even said, just go check it out? This is, this, this is what he said, go check it out. This is the land I'm giving you. This is the God who sent the ten plagues. This is the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who appeared to them as a pillar of fire and of smoke. This is the God who made mountains shake. The God who fed the manna from heaven and gave them water from rocks. The God who made Moses' face glow when he was in his presence. And yet these people were doubting him as to whether he would be able to give Israel the land. That's crazy. All of the things they had seen, and we're not talking like heard a story about. They saw it. Can you imagine for just a moment standing at the base of a mountain and watching the mountain shake? I would be terrified. And yet the God who made the mountains shake, they thought was inadequate to the task of taking Canaan. Throughout my life, when I looked at moments like this, like we see in in Numbers 13, and I've looked at Israel, I've gone, they were so dumb. What a bunch of fools. Why did God even pick pick those people? What a silly thing to, to doubt God in this moment. And yet, I see this same attitude in myself. And as I've gotten older, I've seen how I, have doubted God and His power and His glory and His ability time and time again. God speaks of this moment in the the nation of Israel as a time of their rebellion. That when they turn the people away from going into the city and they are into Canaan and they convince them that they couldn't do it and they needed to do something else, God refers to this over and over, over again as their rebellion. The people rebelled against God because they did not trust his plan for them and did not believe that he would see it through. And I cannot help but believe that every single time I sin, I am doing the same thing. That when I know what God wants me to do, when I know how God wants me to act and how to speak and what he wants me to do and what he doesn't want me to do, and I look at what the word of God says and what the Holy Spirit is calling me to do in my heart and I go... Nah, I'll do it my way. Because my way's got to be better, right? I am just as stupid and I am just as rebellious as Israel was this day. This is what makes the words of God in response to the rebellion hit me that much harder. Kick over one chapter to Numbers chapter 14. And read along with me what it says in Numbers 14, 11. It says, the Lord said to Moses, how long will, these, will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me despite all of the signs which I have performed in their midst? You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I, 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 I get that. In fact, when, when in my life, and I don't mean to talk about myself too much, but in my life, when I was far from God, 
And I really came to that point where, where I realized just how far from God I was and how much I'd been living in sin. I remember kind of what, what brought me to my senses, and it was a question. And a question came to my mind that was literally this. It says, are you done now? You've done it your way. You've done what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. You've, you've done the way the world has wanted you to do it. You've lived the way the world has wanted you to live. You've followed the stereotypes and done the things that, that people expected you to do. How did that work out for you? Are you done now? And praise the Lord, I said, yeah. Because when I did things my way, it didn't make things better. When I did th- things my way, it led me down a path of foolishness, addiction, depression. I was failing in the things that I should not have been failing in, my job, my schooling, my relationships. I was sick and I was tired. And in the midst of all of that, God stepped in and said, are you done? And so these words from God in Numbers 14 remind me of that moment when he says, how long? How long will you not do things the way I'm calling you to do them? How long will you be disobedient to me? How long will you not believe me? See, unfortunately, this rebellion had consequences. In fact, as we look further into Numbers 14... We can jump down to verse 28 and we can see exactly what was the result of Israel's rebellion. God speaking to Moses, picking up in verse 28, we see this. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do it to you. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Even all your numbered men, according to all the complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, surely you shall not come into the land which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jethna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. This is why they are wandering. The nation of Israel had rebelled against God, and the consequence was that that entire generation that had rebelled were not allowed to enter into the promised land. You know, if there's one thing that we struggle to accept in our day and age is that our actions have consequences. We constantly feel as though we have to be the exception to the rule or we ought to be the exception to the rule that we should be able to do things that we want to do even when we know good and well that our actions and our behaviors and our thoughts do not honor God or do not reflect His will and yet we should be, you know, we should escape it. That we should, we should be immune to the consequences of our actions. 
Often we hear the gospel message that Jesus paid the price for our sins and we begin to think that that means that we should not have to reap what we sow. That because we have said a prayer and because we have been baptized, that because we have our name on a church roll, that because we identify as a Christian, that we can do whatever we want to do and that God has to love us anyways and and that he's going to take care of us. And there's truth in that. But do not think for a moment that if you are living in sin, that you are continuing down a sinful lifestyle and a sinful thought process, that there is not consequences to your sin. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now for some of us in the room, myself included, This is a reason for despair. We know that there is sin in our life. In a lot of ways, we feel locked into that sin, and so we don't know what to do about it. And if we know that there are consequences to the sin in our life, we don't know what to do about it, and we know that that must mean that something is coming or indeed we're experiencing it already. But that leads us back into our text that started our day. That leads us back to Deuteronomy chapter 2. And I want to look specifically at verse 7. So if you remember, so what has happened is Israel has rebelled against God, did not done what he said. Because of that, they have been judged by God, and, and the judgment was that they wouldn't inherit the, the land, but that the next generation would inherit it. And now that's where we jump into in Deuteronomy chapter 2. But look again at verse 7. I want you to see this in the midst of the punishment and living out the judgment. This is what it says. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all that you have done. He has known your wandering through the great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord has been with you and you have not lacked a thing. Now, we have to think about this for just a second. The wandering was their punishment. God vowed that every person who rebelled against him would die in the wilderness. And and make no mistake, they did, including Moses, including Aaron. But now look at what God did while they were there. Look at what he says in this passage. First, it says that he still knew them. In their wandering. Despite the constant rebellion and grumbling of Israel, God would never take his eyes off of Israel. Guys, that's true for us today as well. You may feel like you are a thousand miles away from God. You may feel like you have, have, have gone into a place where, where God can't see you anymore and God's not aware of what's going on, but that is not true. God still sees you even in your wanderings that he has never taken his eyes off of you. I'm reminded of what Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 12 when he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. See, your value to God has not been diminished because of your rebellion. 
And when we are, are find ourselves caught in sin and when we find ourselves far away from God for whatever reason, that does not make us any less a child of God or any less someone that he loves because we are far from God. His eye has never left you. Not only this, but God was still with them. He says, I've known you're wandering through the great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. Even though he had taken them to the promised land and they refused to enter, God remained present with them, guiding them, moving them, showing them when to go and when to stay, when to camp and when to move, and deciding at the moment that they would return. How awesome it must have been in the midst of the wandering to still have a God who would step in and go, Head north. Your wanderings are done. He'd been with them the whole time. God has made us this promise as well. In Hebrews 13, 5, we read, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. What great news. The God of heaven and earth does not abandon you even in the midst of rebellion. I cannot tell you how many times I have talked to people who, who um, have rededicated their life or God is doing a work in their life and, and we get to talking about what's going on and, and they start talking about their sin and just like I was a few minutes ago and how they, you know, and, and more often than not, it's a slow fade. It's not that one day they just suddenly put their foot down and said, I'm not following Jesus anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. On the contrary, usually what it is, is it's one compromise after another, usually because of changes in their life. They go off to college. They get into it with a group of people. They do this, they do this, and it's a, it's a slow fade. And then suddenly they find themselves a million miles away from God, barely remembering what it was like to be in church. And, and they have that struggle and all, and all that stuff. But then as God begins to do a work in their life and they begin to talk and they begin to reflect on what their wanderings were like, they'll say something like this, but I begin to see now how God was with me every step of the way. And he protected me from some really bad things. And he brought me to where I am today. And I praise God for that. See, what we hear from God to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy is something I hear in testimony after testimony that even when we feel like we are far from God, in hindsight, we begin to realize that God was with us the whole way. And finally, that God had continued to take care of them. See, God was telling them in this passage today that they were about to head north. And because of their heading north, they were going to pass through the land that belonged to Edom. Now, Edom was the nation of people that came from Jacob's brother Esau. And so Israel was the descendants of Jacob and Edom was the descendants of Esau. And so they had this familial tie to each other, even though they were two completely different groups of people. And what, they had, what he, God said to them is, you're going to go through the land that belongs to Esau, or belongs to Esau, belongs to Edom, leave it alone. None of it belongs to you. You don't even get, a, you don't even get to take a square that, would, that you could put your foot down on. 
And he says, well, on the contrary, as you go through, they're going to be nervous about it. You're going to let them know that you've got no beef with them. You're going to buy food from them. You're going to buy water from them. You're going to pay for it with your own money. You're not going to let them just give it to you because they're scared of you. You're going to let them know that you mean them no harm and you're going to pay them for everything. Why? Because I have taken care of you. And I want, I want Edom to know that you are a blessed nation. That even in your wanderings, even though you are nomads, even though you have not had a place to call home all these 40 years, that you are still taken care of. And that the God of Israel takes care of Israel. See, they were being punished, and yet God reminds them through their entire wanderings that they never lacked a thing. Now think about that for a moment. This is not an easy part of the globe to live in. They are nomadic. They are living in what is basically desert. They are circling and going nowhere. And yet, they have everything they need. As we mentioned earlier, they got manna from heaven. They got water when when Moses would just tap a rock and water would come out of it. See, even in the midst of their wandering, God took care of them. Jesus told us this in in Matthew chapter 6. He said, your heavenly father knows all that you need, all these things. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, God was faithful, even when Israel wasn't. God was faithful even when Israel wasn't. And God showed that throughout the whole thing. And there was a reason for that. And it wasn't so that they were just enabled to continue on sinning, to continue living in sin, that they could just keep doing what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, how they wanted to do it. There were consequences to their actions. But nevertheless, God, through his love and his faithfulness, was drawing them back into a right relationship with him. This is the good news in our passage today. God is faithful. Have you messed up? Who hasn't? Do you feel like you're adrift, that you're a thousand miles away from God and and, and you have no idea where you're going or where you're supposed to be? I've been there. God is faithful. He is still watching over you. He is still with you. And he is still drawing you back into a relationship with him. If you're with us today and, and, and maybe you, you would say you're a Christian, let's put it that way, that you, you've given your life to Jesus and you feel like that, that you are a Christian, you baptized, all that stuff, but you know that you've not been living for the Lord and you've experienced the consequences of that reality. Listen, I want you to know something. God has not given up on you. And God is faithful and God is calling you even today to repent. To turn away from that sin, to put that out, to end the rebellion in your heart and in your mind and in your actions. And to come back to him. If you're here today and and your life has just been rebellion, you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you don't know what you believe on all of these things, but, but you want to experience what it's like to have a relationship with God through Christ. 
God is calling you to that as well, and you are not too late to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So the Bible says that while we were sinners, that while we were hostile towards God, that while we were rebellious towards God, that he sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf. That through Christ and what Jesus did on the cross, that he lived a perfect life to die a sacrificial death on the cross, that he rose from the grave three days later so that he might reconcile us to God. And if you would like to be reconciled to God today, then we want to invite you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to be standing up front. You can come talk to me. If you don't want to talk to me, you're probably here with someone who can share Christ with you today. Don't wait. You may not be promised 40 years. But know this. You are not beyond God's love. You are not beyond God's grace. That what you are experiencing now may just very well be God calling you back into a deep and more meaningful relationship with him. God is faithful even when we are not. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for your word. God, we praise you that you are a faithful God. Lord, I know myself that I have given you a million reasons for you to give up on me. That my attitudes and my actions, that my thoughts and my rebellion towards you have, have counted in, in the hundreds, if not the thousands. And yet, God, you have proven over and over and over again that you are faithful. And that you continue to call me to repentance and to a deeper walk with you. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us in this room today would feel that same call. And Lord, if there's an area of our life that we need to hand over to you, if there's an area in our, in our thoughts or in our life that, we are, that, that we're rebellious towards you, God, that we would end the rebellion and that we would surrender to your will. And God, if there are people in this room who their life has been in rebellion towards you and that they have never surrendered to your will, that today would be the day that they would cry out to Jesus. And they would surrender their life to him and make Jesus their Lord. God, thank you for being faithful. Lord, thank you for continuing to call us home. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would make us receptive to that today. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.